Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and these are truly strange times. This past weekend, something happened that has never happened in the history of resort skiing. In the span of less than 12 hours, most ski areas abruptly suspended their operations right in the middle of March. This mass closure of ski areas was due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and this has all happened so fast, and with so much new information seemingly coming out and changing almost every single hour, that many of us have been left shaken, we've been left with lots of questions, and we are wondering what exactly is going on, and we are also wondering what's next. So yesterday evening, I spoke with veteran ski industry reporter Jason Blevins about these truly unprecedented events. Jason is a reporter at the Colorado Sun. He is one of the most respected and well-connected reporters in the ski industry business, and he has been keeping close tabs on this whole developing situation. So let's get to my conversation with Jason about what exactly is going on, what is likely to come next, what sort of impact this is going to have on ski towns, and what each of us should and should not be doing right now. Here we go. Well, Jason, it's always good to talk to you, though this is definitely sort of the most surreal uh, circumstance under which I think we've ever talked. Uh, this is the most surreal circumstance with which you've ever spoken with anyone, I'm sure. Yeah, that's um, that seems about right. So, I mean, to that, I guess my first question is, have you ever seen anything like this before? No, I mean, of course not. I don't think, unless you were alive for the 1918 uh, Spanish flu, I, I kind of doubt you've seen anything like this. But if you do have to make some parallels, it would probably be 9-11. Now, um, in terms of the ski industry and what we're going to talk about, obviously we were not skiing during 9-11, but there was a whole lot of concern over what the future looked like. And I think that's where we are right now. We're sort of in this uh, gray area. You know, what what does this mean? How long is this going to last? You know, will we be skiing later this season? You know, will we make spring turns? Um, you, know, uh, you know, again, this is just, you know, hyper-focused on skiing. I feel like we're in the we're in a similar situation. If you had to draw a parallel, it would be nine eleven because we just didn't know where people were going to go on vacation. Would there be skiing? Would the economy support skiing? Was it? You know, it was just so unclear what the future looked like in nine eleven. And I think that's that same. I feel that right now. I think that's uh, my neighbors feel that right now. No one really knows what is this going to look like. So, if you had to draw a parallel, it would be that. So. Before we get too far into this, I mean, I know you have been making sure you're tuned into the absolute latest. And I should say, you and I are having this conversation uh, at 6 p.m. on Sunday, March 15th. And if we've learned anything over the past several days or this past week, it's that everything seems to be changing like within the hour. Indeed. Right. I mean, I think we can expect more of that ahead of us, but we're going to try to get a handle on what we sort of know at the moment. 
And maybe we'll talk a bit about some of your guesses on where things might be headed. But um, if you had to, if someone just came out of, uh, you know, a month long coma and asked like, what's going on? How would you sum this current state of the union up? I would say yesterday was probably one of the most interesting and historical days in the history of U.S. resort skiing, North American resort skiing. Um, the, the we've ended up with by the end of the you know by tomorrow we could have at, across the world no lifts turning in the middle of March um, across the world, and that that is historical. That would be the first time in the history of resort skiing in the, you know, whatever, 60, 70 years that we've been riding chairs in the world, this will be the first time in March that no chairs are turning. Um, you know, obviously all of Asia is shut down. Looks like most of Europe is shut down. Um, and yesterday the dominoes started falling in the, in the U.S. and North America. And I, I'd be surprised if by midweek there's any chairs turning in all of North America. I think it was like Friday morning and then Definitely yesterday morning, we were getting updates from ski areas that are like, hey, we're monitoring the situation, you know, lifts are still spinning, but we're going to say cancel all like ancillary events or, you know, operate concerts or that kind of thing. And that's, you know, we went up yesterday, um, skied the beef and it was, you know, incredible. They'd had probably good eight inches of snow over the week and it's blue sky, super warm, um, creamy, fun, um, brought the whole family up and we played a game called everything is lava. Remember when we were kids and we used to, you know, stand on the couch and jump from the coffee table to the couch, to the chair and pretend the floor is lava. We just played everything is lava. So we couldn't touch anything. It was pretty fun. It was a good day. Um, pretty surreal, you know, for, when you realize it was a Saturday in March, just because no one was really out there, um, you know, it felt like a Tuesday or something, you know, without a lot of fresh snow. Um, went in and got a glass of water and there's a guy that's actually uh, running the water fountain with gloves on, and handing you a cup of water so you didn't have to actually touch anything. Um, so it was definitely different. And the start of yesterday began with the cancellation of events, social distancing in lines, only they call it familial loading. So you could only load with your own group. Singles didn't load with anybody. They rode by themselves. Um, so that was the way the day started. And then at 4.30, um, Rob Katz, chief of Vail Resorts, issued a, a statement saying he was closing all their North, North American resorts. It's 35 or 32, 33 ski areas in North America, um, shutting them down for a week. Um, and then they would reassess. Uh, within an hour, Altera Mountain Co. followed suit and shut down resorts. And, uh, you know, that included in Colorado, that included Steamboat and Winter Park. And, you know, they have 15 mountain resorts. So Mammoth, Squall Alpine, um, you know, stuff in New England, they're pretty sweeping. So within an hour span, we saw 45, 50 of the world's of the country's largest ski areas shut down for a week. So that was unprecedented. And then all the little guys started following a basin followed Loveland followed. You know, we started seeing all these other resorts started following suit, but there were some holdouts and namely Aspen snow mass and Telluride. And we're kind of curious as to why those 
two resorts. They're sort of the last remaining resorts have not really said anything yet. Turns out they were in a very deep conversation with the governor. And from my conversations with sources in the governor's office, um, the governor had had urged, following the Vail Resort's announcement, he, he issued a quick statement within 10 minutes that said, way to go, Vail, good call. I urge all other ski resorts to do the same. You know, so then they started to. But when some of them didn't, I think he maybe um, got a little frustrated. Um, there was maybe some foot dragging. Um, you know, and I talked to people at, at, at Aspen Snowmass, and they were they were fighting for skiing, you know, not necessarily as a financial thing. Uh, you know, and I, I hear this. I heard it from Monarch. I heard it from Wolf Creek. I heard it from Silverton. Um, you know, these it's not money. It's just keeping workers employed and it's uh, being able to provide something. If you're really going to pin us in our homes with our kids, cause we can't, they can't go to school and you're not going to give us a chance to go outside and play outside. Um, you know, that's crazy. I think there was a lot of concessions that were offered. How about we don't have lodges open? How about there's no structures open on the mountain and all we're doing is turning chairs and we have a, singles line only you know so the people loading up in the chairs stand six feet apart from each other they don't stand next to each other there's no lift line so i don't know uh, i think there was some people that really fought for it and i don't think it they ended up winning because by nine o'clock um the unprecedented and truly extraordinary executive order came down requiring all ski resorts to shut down the next morning <laughs> so they had you know what, nine hours notice, 10 hours notice before they were going to reopen. So kind of an interesting, very interesting scenario to, like I said, yesterday was maybe the most interesting day in the history of North American resort skiing. Pretty crazy going from urge to, to never mind. I don't urge you anymore. I require it. You are shutting down. And some of the little guys, you know, Aaron Brill at Silverton brought up a really good point. He's like, I don't understand, you know, like it's like the governor has, can't, or isn't differentiating between a day at Vail, which is, you know, that's 20,000 people on a Saturday at Vail, at Vail ski area, not to mention eight to 10 at Beaver Creek. So, you know, that's a busy day in this valley. Um, and, you know, he's like, we'll do a couple hundred unguided. Like, you know, there's never a chance that anyone's really standing next to each other. It's just, that's, we're not that kind of scary. We aren't, that scary and Davy Pitcher's the same way going like, wait, we're not veil. We're not some massive, you know, massing of people. I don't understand why we can't run if we take all the precautions that, you know, everyone's recommending. But at the same time, we're in a, an extraordinary situation and nobody really, you know, who am I to say that the governor made a, a good decision or a bad decision? Either way, he made the decision and he's, you know, he's, probably was the safest decision but you know there there is frustration at those smaller resorts for sure that saying like we're not veil we're not twenty thousand people why can't we have you know a couple hundred spread across four thousand acres of terrain yeah and i guess if there was going to be i don't even want to call it a counterpoint to that right it's just like i wonder if part of the thinking was that if any of these smaller ski areas were going to remain open if that would have just created a like 
you know, we're all, every skier I know is super psyched right now. And like the skiing is really good. And so I wonder if the thought was, well, we can't just leave a silver tin open or something because everyone is going to have reason to go there. Now, granted, Silverton controls their numbers of people that they'll allow up. So perhaps that's a bit of a differentiation point. But you know what I mean? It's like, well, if you shut down all the big areas, doesn't that just direct people to these tiny areas and and direct more people into small mountain towns that right now, right, that's the a bit of the grim irony, right? It's like small mountain towns are dependent on tourists and tourism and yet for right now people coming in is the threat yeah and imagine if you know if it didn't apply to you know the monarchs and the wolf creeks and the silverton mountains and all of a sudden slida and pagosa springs and the town of silverton are overwhelmed with those thousands that can't go to vale and beaver creek yeah that's a very good point you know and like i said i'm not here to at all second guess all i'm saying is that there was some frustration with maybe the manner and swiftness with which it was uh decided you know davy pitcher at wolf creek was saying i would have you know at least appreciated a heads up that this was on the table other than a nine o'clock message the night before you know he's like i got food in my cooler i could have not ordered that food there's things i could have done um that would have made my life a lot easier um you know again these are Pretty trivial issues, but, you know, there was a little bit of concern out there from from the smaller guys. So just to try to get clear, how much back and forth to your knowledge did or did not happen, say, with the governor's office and with at least certain ski areas? I think it was all day yesterday, from what I understand. It was an all day back and forth, um, you know. I think the, you know, the governor's edict uh, or executive order said, you know, a seven day close with an option to continue past, um, uh, you know, March 22. So, you know, does, I think there was a lot of discussion from the industry on the length of that. Um, you know, could we go 14 days? I, I wonder if at first, if, if he had said just close, close for the season. And, you know, people like a basin are like, wait, we have three months, you know, we skied into June last year. What if we get these late storms and we're good? Yeah. What if everybody gets late storms and, you know, Aspen can ski that private land. They can keep skiing at Ajax for, you know, all summer if the snow's good. So I think there's some argument as to the length of this closure, the extent of the closure. Um, so there was some negotiation, a lot of back and forth from what I understand. Yeah. By the way, I mean you you live in Eagle County. Um you're you're in Vail. I don't know how many people you're talking to right now. It seems like many of us are I mean I was yesterday out skiing with a couple close friends and reviewers and and that's kind of the only contact I've really been having, but you are in uh, a pretty prominent mountain town. What has kind of been the mood or the take around there? Um you know, again, it sort of goes back to this. What is the future going to hold? Um, you know, there's a lot of concern. You know, last yesterday when we ski down, we pass, we do a sort of leave the beeve thing. So we don't ride buses to get home um, and we ski down to the car. And as we're passing by the Ritz Carlton at Bachelor Gulch, there's 300 people on that deck yesterday. 
there's a DJ, there's music pumping, people are dancing, there's a pool. Um, so you know, we just kind of, we wondered at that, that sure looked odd to me. Um, but you know, and I, I hear there were big events at, at the Beeve last night. A friend of mine catered an event, and he couldn't believe it that it was so full. But it seems like, you know, there's people are on vacation, and that's, you know, how people are on vacation. They don't want to be bothered by anything. So um, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, maybe just sort of put the blinders on and, and let's have a drink sort of thing. Um, seeing that a lot. But strangely, you know, I, I think that we're not, this is going to grind to a halt, you know, by, you know, midweek, I can't imagine there's going to be anywhere in this town. Um, you know, we're starting to hear rumblings that uh, all bars and restaurants are going to be closed. Um, about an hour ago, Summit County, Utah, um, passed the rule that closes all bars and restaurants. Um, so it's, you know, I think if, if we are following a track of China and following a track of Italy and their numbers will be our numbers and they are basically doubling every day, um, you know, to where, you know, that towards the end, that gets pretty crazy when you're at a hundred thousand, you go to 200,000 to 400,000. That, that gets nuts. Um, if that is our track and we're going to go that direction, I think we are on the cusp of something incredibly historic, even more historic than what we've seen right now in terms of just the world grinding to a full stop. That's insane. It's insane to even think about. And I think for those reasons, you know, here's just my take on this and it's only my opinion and it's as informed and, and uninformed as many of you listening to this. But I guess I do find myself thinking like, if we had to err on the side of overreaction or underreaction, it just does seem like the wise way to err is overreaction. And I think if you bring up China and Italy and look what's happened, it's very difficult to call any of this an overreaction. I would agree. I mean, if we are looking at China and Italy as what's coming here, then there is no such thing as an overreaction. Um, you know, granted, I get it right now, you know, the, whatever, former Lieutenant governor of Florida sent out a smarmy tweet after bail announced their closure. And they were, he was upset that his vacation had been ruined. Um, so, you know, that, that's sort of a knee jerk reaction and you can kind of understand that, you know, he's on his way out, I guess, driving out or something and vacations ruined. And that, that is a bummer, but on a large scale in a week, you know, we're looking back and there's, you know, people are, are, are dying and hospitals are overwhelmed, then he's going to feel pretty silly about talking about his vacation. Yeah. I don't really care about his vacation right now. Yeah. No. Let's talk a little bit more about, and I think this is an important part, right? Cause we have, I sort of get it, but like, God damn, social media sucks sometimes. Right. And you see some of the responses in the comments section and people like, hey, thanks a lot, ski area, so-and-so, you really screwed me over. So let's maybe take a second for those folks and just talk again about, on the one hand, there are these mountain town communities, and like we said, I mean, 
they're great places to be, um, and they are places that a lot of people come vacation, and that is an important part of all mountain town economies. And yet, right now, people coming in here really are a threat to these communities. And just right now, we just know it's not the right time to be doing sort of large gatherings. So I don't know, I don't know how we say anything other than. Like, yeah, sorry, there's going to be some personal inconvenience here, but I don't know how you like put, you know, hey, you're you're a buzzkill on my spring break ahead of the safety of these mountain town communities and then the people returning back to wherever they came from. So I I I, I really struggle right now to understand the clear criticism as much as I would love to be riding chairs right now. I guess I just am failing to see where the real criticism would come in on this program. I mean, I agree. I'm, you know, you're not going to hear it from me, but uh, you know, if you spend a lot of time on Twitter, which I do, and um, you know, there's things I will say in my living room to my wife. And then there's things I'll say on the, on the Twitter and, you know, they don't always, you know, overlap. Um, but it's funny. I always see people on social media saying things that, you know, you would maybe say in a really close, tight situation with a close friend, I can understand, you know, that sitting with their family saying, darn, I'm so upset. Our vacation is ruined. I'm so upset. But then to go and tell that to the world is that's a whole other step that I've never been able to grab my, wrap my head around. But, you know, that's really no here nor there. That's just the nature of social media. But, same time, you are very correct that these communities are intimately interconnected. You know, the guy that's teaching you skiing is also wor- working at the bar, and the kid bumping chairs is also busting your tables. And, you know, we're everybody's interconnected. And then, you know, chances are that bartender and that you know, lift attendant are also sharing an apartment. And, you know, with four other, five other people, um, we, you know, with sort of an unusual situation up here with, uh, how interconnected everything is. And, you know, you move from one place to another, to a crowded restaurant, to a crowded ski area, to a crowded lodge, to a hotel. Um, a lot of interconnected, a lot of ways, things that overlap around here. So I can uh, I can understand the concern from health officials here. And really, it's not surprising that the hottest spots in Colorado right now are the ski towns, are Pickin and Eagle County, specifically Eagle County. Um, so that that isn't surprising to me. There's tons of people come in from different places. It's a destination. They're um, you know they're spread out all over. They're served by some of the same workers in multiple venues. So I'm I'm not surprised. But it's it is the truth of these ski towns. We are uh, there's a whole quite a diverse population of visitors that come in, and they bring all sorts of good stuff. It seems like this would be a decent time to mention the fact that there is such a thing called backcountry skiing. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be nice. I'm sure there's some people listening to this who are like, you guys are talking about sort of the end of the ski season, and they're like, look, I only ski the backcountry. I'm not affected, like, in the least. And, and like, touche, fair point type of thing. I'm curious to hear, like, what you have to say about this. Um, you know, I guess for me, the big thing is just... I do wonder a little bit 
if we're going to see a sort of a quick scramble of people buying up touring equipment and sort of having an attitude of like, well, I can't ride chairs anymore, so I guess it's time to learn to backcountry ski. I'm not predicting some massive, massive influx of that per se, but if there is even some uptick, I guess the one thing that I would say is like just the obvious reminder that like y'all shouldn't be doing that if you haven't taken any AVI courses, if you don't know how to operate a beacon, if you've never done any practice with a probe, et cetera. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, that seems like this sort of very obvious thing to be said. What are your thoughts on, you know, the sort of backcountry skiing world? Well, on the flip side, I think, you know, if, if I was a vacationer and I'm like, I'm going to get my turns in, I would go skin at the skier. Um, you know, we have a pretty industrial snowpack up there. Um, you know, you could get into some pretty gentle um, gentle slopes that um, have been groomed. So the chance of any sort of, you know, avalanche going to the ground is none. You know, like I said, this is an industrial snowpack at a ski area. So, you know, we, we essentially have giant um, venues of industrial snow available for skinning right now. Uh, I mean, I have not checked every resort's uphill policy, especially in this uh, sort of unprecedented closure. But I I would just advise if, if you are going to go up, check what the uphill policy is. I know that uh, some resorts out here in Colorado allow it. Some don't, even when they're fully operating. So I think I, it's probably best to check um, and see what each specific resort's policy is. Um, but I, I do know that lots of people are skinning in the Roaring Fork um, today. Any other thoughts on this? Any other things we need to touch on? I mean, it's pretty, yeah. I mean, just crazy times. We've, you know, thrown out just about all the big hyperboles that I can, but I don't think I'm overreaching and saying that this is um, probably one of the most historical moments in the history of resort skiing. Uh, we've never really seen this before. Um, this is completely new ground. Um, the idea that these closures are going to last a week Again, if we are looking at China and Italy, um, that doesn't seem like a week is going to be any better. Um, if anything, it's going to be exponentially worse because um, we are still on the upside of this uh, this thing and still climbing up to that peak. Um, so, like I said, what a crazy time! Just crazy time. It's, it's hearing from everybody I'm texting, every resort owner, every you know CEO that I've been talking to. We're just shaking our heads like this. This is this isn't in the practice book. This isn't in the rule books. No one's you know really prepared for a scenario like this. It's sort of entirely new ground. Yeah, and honestly, where my head is at right now, and again, I think there's going to be a lot of us backcountry skiing for the next several months, and um, you know that'll be great, but. Where my head really is um, in terms of ski areas, I want to really encourage, well, certainly every skier and then hopefully just the whole country, like in a way, I think we really need to be thinking about making sure when it's time to open ski areas next season that we're doing the absolute best practice thing right now 
to ensure that next ski season, you know, is opening on time and, and all the rest, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that's the way we need to all look at this, like follow best practices right now, be paying attention to what the leaders in your community are telling us all to be doing follow that stuff. Let's suck it up. And let's just make sure that we aren't spreading this thing and keeping it going longer and longer. And I don't know, it seems like that's the best thing we can do. I don't know if it's all we can do, but um, I think it's time for us to all kind of fall in line and not assume ah, we're fine, or this is somebody else's problem or something like that. I think that's about as good advice as you can give right now. I think we will uh, we will be talking about lessons learned from this um, this episode COVID nineteen for uh, for generations. I read somewhere today that maybe maybe this will be the demise of the handshake, <laughs> which is kind of funny. What if what if we stop shaking hands now for the rest of society? What do we do? Fist bump, kick feet. You know they do that in Asia sometimes. They'll go up and kick each other's feet as a way to say hello. Yeah. Man, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody does. But what I do know is, um, as always, when it when it comes to the ski industry, um, you're always one of the first people I want to talk to about what's going on. So yeah, I appreciate this conversation. And as you already said earlier, I mean, I, it's going to be very interesting to see where we are a week from today. And if we look back on this and are like, we're in a whole brave new world or people have fallen in line and we seem to be getting a handle on this. Um, who knows, right? Who knows? It's really hard to tell, but you know, we can hope for one and do what we can. I, for one, am uh, sitting tight, following the rules, doing what I've been told and um, hoping that we can... Uh, get this thing at least spread out the impact. If we all do catch this, let's not all catch it at the same time. That's the idea, right? Well, Jason, I know you and your paper, Colorado Sun, um, have been reporting on this and just keeping up on the latest. And so I'd encourage everybody to go to coloradosun.com and you can find Jason and his colleagues doing their work and up to the minute reporting on all of this. And, um, yeah, um, as always, Jason, I appreciate the time. And uh, God, I, I, I'm almost like I can envision getting back in a conversation with you. Like, <laughs> I'd like to say not tomorrow, but uh, we'll hit you up if, if this world keeps turning. Yeah, circle back. Always a pleasure, Jonathan. It's great to talk to you. All right, man. You take care. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Jason Blevins for the conversation. And you can and should read Jason and his colleagues' ongoing coverage of these events at coloradosun.com. Until next time, please, please be safe, be smart, please be a good citizen and a good member of your community, and let's get through this. Thank you all, and we will talk to you again next week.